0: So they say once you are indicted by the feds that your case is already over. Now, that's only partially true, but the government does have about a 98% conviction rate. However, determining guilt or innocence is only one part of the equation. From there, the defendants are concerned about the sentence length or the amount of prison time that they will serve and where they will spend it. Because in the federal system, you can wind up anywhere from a camp that's more akin to a dormitory at a college, or you can be placed in a maximum security lockdown facility in a tiny cell for most of the day every day so how does the bureau of prisons determine where an inmate will serve his or her time well you're about to find out i'm joshua roberts attorney at law and you are watching law you're up In today's episode, we are going to be discussing the different types of prisons that exist within the Federal Bureau of Prisons, the BOP. They differ based upon the various security levels of the facilities, and they range anywhere from minimum to high. Then we're gonna take a look at the factors that the Bureau of Prisons considers in regard to every inmate in determining the appropriate custody level for that particular individual. And finally, once the appropriate custody level of an inmate is determined, we will look at how the Bureau of Prisons selects the specific prison within that custody level that will house the inmate. If you learned something from this episode or you enjoy it, smash that like button for me. If you got something to say, you got a comment, put it in the comment section below. If you haven't subscribed, what are you waiting for? Hit that subscribe button and you guys know it. I love it when you share me on social media. My name is Joshua Roberts. I'm an attorney in Springfield, Missouri, and I've been practicing for over 24 years. My primary area of practice over the past decade has been in federal criminal defense. And the cases I generally handle include large scale drug distribution rings. These are multi defendant cases where they're importing and distributing illegal contraband, uh, which is usually meth, although heroin and fentanyl, or fentanyl, depending upon how you pronounce it, are making quite the comeback. These defendants are all facing 10 to life. 10 years being the minimum and a life sentence being the maximum. So it's significant time. Now, in this video, we are looking at the federal prison system. We are not looking at state courts or state prisons. Every state does something different. And in state court, most people don't go to prison. Most people get probation. Not so in federal court, where over 90% of the people convicted do some amount of prison time. As I mentioned in the open, at the federal level, quite often by the time I first meet with a defendant, law enforcement already has several controlled buys using undercover federal agents or confidential informants. These are often video and audio recorded. Warrants have been served, drugs and guns have been seized. And the defendant is usually already well behind the eight ball. Pardon the pun, right? And in these cases, it isn't like you're getting busted with a baggie in your pocket by the local police. If it's a federal case, there are usually tens of thousands of pounds of contraband being moved. And the law enforcement agency is the FBI, the DEA, ATF, or some other related entity. So you're dealing with agencies that have highly trained officers as well as unlimited resources. So discussions with my clients often turn fairly quickly from guilt or innocence to how much time am I looking at and where am I going to serve it? Now, the length of a sentence is determined by the judge. The court looks at several factors, including the federal sentencing guidelines, in fashioning a reasonable sentence. That discussion is beyond the scope of this video. In this video, we are looking at once a defendant is sentenced, where is he or she going to be serving that time? And that's not decided by the judge. That's decided by the Bureau of Prisons. So the first thing we're going to look at is the types of facilities that exist. And there are essentially five categories in the federal system. They include a minimum, a low, a medium and maximum security prisons, as well as administrative institutions. Now, administrative institutions are the diagnostic units where inmates go for assessments. They also include medical facilities or specialty units like the ADX Supermax, which is the nation's new Alcatraz. So we are going to look at each level of institutional security to compare and contrast the prisons. Specifically, we're going to look at the name of those facilities, the percentage of the overall prison population that they hold, the security at the facility and the type of fencing they have, the type of housing that is provided. We're going to look at movement restrictions in and out of those facilities, the uniforms that they wear, any segregation issues, and the overall average prison term within each facility. Now, many of these BOP sites have several different prisons located within the same complex. So you may have a complex with a camp and a low and a minimum security prisons. And the correctional complex in Florence, Colorado has all five types of facilities, including the nation's only Supermax prison. Finally, there are exceptions to about everything that I'm going to say. These are the rules that apply in a majority of the facilities. But there are exceptions at every custody level that may be unique to a particular institution. So, with that disclaimer, let's get started. We're talking about the Bureau of Prison Facilities and their custody levels. At the bottom are the federal prison camps. These are called the FPCs or camps. They hold about 16% of the overall prison population at the federal level. Now, the security level is called minimum, which is the absolute lowest of all of the institutions, and the people that are there are called campers. There is no fence around most of these facilities. In fact, there are no even traditional locking cells most of the camps look like a college fraternity house. Inside, they kind of look like dorms. You have open bay sleeping areas and none of the, like I said, a traditional locking cell. And a lot of the inmates in these facilities are actually allowed to leave to go to work during the day during specified times. Now, They're usually supervised in the community if they're going to have a lot of community contact. But if these individuals are working in the back of a warehouse or something, a lot of times they aren't even supervised. So these campers are often allowed to leave the camp or the FPC prison to work during the day. Movement inside the facility is obviously free. They can go wherever they want inside the facility, anywhere, at any time. Their uniforms are green, there's no segregation issues, and these camps are usually reserved for people that are doing less than 10 years and or approaching their release date. The next level up is the federal correction institutions, and these are called FCIs. There's two of them, the FCI Low and the FCI Medium. We'll talk about each one in turn. The FCI low holds about 36% of the overall federal prison population, and this is a low security facility. They do have a fence around the exterior, but again, there are no traditional locking cells and we have more of the open bay dorm sleeping arrangements in most of these facilities. However, individuals at an FCI are not allowed to leave or to walk out into the community. Now, while they're inside the facility, they are free to move about anywhere in the facility they want at about any time that they want. They also wear the green uniforms. There aren't any segregation issues. And these are generally nonviolent people doing 20 years or less. Now, when we bounce up to the FCI medium, that holds about 32% of the overall prison population, and these are medium security facilities. These have a fence outside. In fact, most of them have two rows of fencing, and this is a traditional prison. There are locking cells. Most of the time, there are two-man prison cells, and of course, these people can't leave. They don't get to work out into the community, and in fact, inside the prisons, they usually have limited moves. How that works is that at the top of every hour, They unlock the facility, and people can move around within the facility for 10 minutes into a different location. Then they lock it back down again, and you're stuck wherever you're at until the top of the next hour when they have another move. Individuals in this facility will be wearing khaki uniforms, and there aren't any segregation issues in these facilities, but there are a lot more metal detectors because the violence, as the levels increase in security, the violence increases, and these facilities have a lot of violence generally on a daily basis. Most of the people in this facility are doing 20 years or less, but they're a little more ornery, so they have moved to the medium level of security. The next step up is the United States Penitentiary, the USP. This holds about 13% of the population, and this is a high level of security. These facilities have two rows of fencing and usually manned gun towers. They have the traditional locking cells, and these are usually pretty small. They have two-man cells and often one-man cells. Obviously, these people can't leave, and they, again, have limited movements within the facility. Generally, they're 10 minutes. You're locked down until the top of the hour, and then there are 10-minute moves where you can move within the facility to access other parts of the prison before you're locked down again. They wear khakis and there is segregation in these facilities. You generally will eat, work out, and spend time in the yard with your own race. There is a lot of violence and a lot of gang violence with high-level gang leaders in these facilities. So they generally will segregate races, keep people apart because of the high levels of violence that occurs in these types of institutions. Now, those are the four main prisons that you find within the BOP, but there is the supermax at the top, the USP administrative max that is in Florence, Colorado, and that holds four percent of the nation's federal prison population. And we only have one of these, and of course, it's a high level of security you got your rows of fencing, you've got your manned guard towers. This facility, you generally have one-man cells. And these individuals are monitored 24-7 by video surveillance. Now, this facility generally holds high-profile criminals. It presently has El Chapo, Ted Kaczynski, members of ISIS and the Taliban, the bombers of the World Trade Center and the Boston Marathon are all being housed inside this facility presently. Obviously, these people don't get to leave. So there's no moves out into the community and there's no moves inside either. These individuals must remain in their cell and everything is brought to them. Some inmates actually have no human contact whatsoever. Everything is delivered to them through a slot And I don't know what they wear there. I assume they're wearing khakis, but I've never represented an individual that's gone to the Supermax. So I don't know exactly what the prison uniforms are. They don't have segregation there because it's not needed because the individuals are always separated. And again, this is for your high-security, high-profile inmates, most of which are doing in excess of 20 years. So those are the four main facilities, but there are also administrative facilities, and these have a high level of security because they house all levels of inmates. And these include the diagnostic centers where new prisoners are evaluated for physical and mental evaluations. With COVID, they're quarantined there and then their custody level is scored to determine an appropriate security level for their permanent BOP facility placement. These administrative facilities also include all the fed meds. We have one, for example, here in Springfield, Missouri, which is a medical facility, and the Supermax prison, because it's so specialized, is considered technically an administrative prison. So those are the types of prisons available to house an inmate. The next question is to determine what custody level or security level is appropriate for a given inmate. To determine this, the BOP will complete an inmate load and security designation form. This form is available on the BOP website if you want to fill one out for yourself. Now the score sheet is one page, but the instructions on how you fill it out are 110 pages long, so it is involved. We're gonna hit the highlights. The process looks at several factors that determine an inmate's custody level and you are assigned a certain number of points in regard to each factor the more points that are assessed the higher the security level at the end of the day if you receive 11 or fewer points you qualify for a camp 12 to 15 points is low security 16 to 23 points is a medium security facility and 24 points or more gets you to the penitentiary and a high security level but that's for men for women it's a little different for females 15 points or less gets you a camp 16 to 30 gets you a low there is no minimum security facility for females and 31 or higher gets you placed in a high security facility so if you're comparing males to females For a male with 24 points, you're going to a maximum security facility. If you're a female with the same amount of points, you're going to still qualify for a low. So there's a difference there. So let's look at the 10 factors that determine how many points an inmate is assessed and ultimately what security or custody level is appropriate for that inmate. Factor number one is the severity of the crime that you just committed and were convicted of. Crimes are classified as felonies or misdemeanors. Felonies are more serious than misdemeanors. In the federal system, there are five levels of felonies from A to E and three levels of misdemeanors from A to C, with A being the most serious at each level. So depending upon the seriousness of the offense, an inmate is given zero to seven points, seven points being reserved for the most serious offenses. Factor number two is your criminal history. Depending upon your criminal history, you can be assessed anywhere from 0 to 10 points. Generally, they assess three points for every prior felony within the past 15 years, two points for every prior misdemeanor that had a jail sentence of 60 days or more, whether you served it or not, in the last 10 years, and one point for all other prior misdemeanors in the past 10 years. Now there are a lot of variables that go into that that can enhance points like if you're a career offender and there are some rules that actually cap the number of points in dealing with simple misdemeanors now the third factor they look at are any pending criminal charges against the inmate which they call detainers or warrants that are outstanding for the individual's arrest in another jurisdiction Now this technically isn't criminal history because the person hasn't been found guilty, but they ding you anyway because of the seriousness of the detainer. So depending upon the seriousness of a pending charge, an inmate is given from zero to seven points, seven again being reserved for the most serious offenses. Factor number four is your history of violence. Zero to seven points are assessed for violent acts. These are separated out into minor incidents versus serious incidents. The more serious, the more points. And the more recent, the more points. A minor altercation more than 10 years old, you get one point. A major altercation last week, that gets you seven points. The fifth factor is a history of escape attempts. And this is a little bit misleading because not only does it count for actual prison escape attempts, which are, you know, rare, but it also includes any missed court dates or missed probation officer meetings. Again, these are separated out into major versus serious incidents, and zero to three points are assessed based upon the seriousness of the violation. The sixth factor is your age, which you can't do anything about, but you get points anyway, because older people statistically commit fewer and less violent crimes. So if you are 24 or less, you get eight points, which basically all but disqualifies you for a camp, just simply based upon your age. Ages 25 to 35 get four points, ages 36 to 54 get two points, and if you're 55 and over, you get zero points based upon your age. Factor number seven is the educational level. If you have a high school diploma or GED, you get zero points. If you're working on your GED, you get one point. And that's almost everyone because in the federal system, they almost force you to work on or get your GED. But if you absolutely refuse to do it, you're not gonna do it, then they assess two points. Factor number eight is the drug abuse history. If you have none or you haven't used drugs in the past five years, it's zero points. Otherwise, you get one point. So they don't put a huge uh, point factor on drug abuse history because it's so prevalent in the system. Number nine is your surrender status. After the indictment, if you voluntarily surrender yourself to authorities, you get a three-point deduction. This is the only factor that can reduce your overall security point total. If they arrest you in any other way, then you get zero points. So you're not penalized if you don't turn yourself in, but you get a deduction if you do. Now, at this point, they total up all of those points and it gives you a security point total. As I said before, if you receive 11 or fewer, you qualify for a camp. 12 to 15 low, 16 to 23 medium, 24 or higher gets you a maximum security facility. And that's for men. Again, for females, less than 15 gets you a camp, 16 to 30 a low. There is no medium security facility for females. And so 31 or higher gets you placed in the USP. However, your security level can be bumped up based upon a 10th factor, which is the public safety factor. If you are a sex offender, an illegal alien, you threatened a government official or were otherwise violent while previously in custody, you can have your security level bumped up even if your security point total would warrant a lower level of security. And last but not least, the sentence length or your months to release is also considered. People getting out sooner rather than later are more apt to behave. So if you are in serving life, you know, who cares about behaving? But if you are closer to your release date, the more likely you are to move down security levels. So that is how the BOP determines what security level is appropriate for any given inmate. The next step in the analysis is to determine what specific facility the inmate will be assigned to. There are 122 federal prisons in total. So, for example, say an inmate is assessed a low security level. There are 30 FCI lows in the United States. So, how do they determine where a specific inmate will be specifically placed? Well, there are three main factors that go into that decision. Number one is your release or your home plan. And this is where do you plan to live when you get out. This is usually where your main Family is located. The BOP tries to place you within 500 miles of your family so that they are there as support for you. Because statistically, inmates who get visitors have better morale and behave better than inmates who don't. Your family probably can't travel 2,000 miles across the country to visit you for an hour, so the closer, the better especially as your release date approaches so that when one is released, they are close to their support unit. Second factor is programs. What programs did the judge recommend that that inmate complete? The most popular program is RDAP. It's a 500-hour drug education program that allows you to cut up to 18 months off of your sentence. So everybody wants to do it. But the program that has the most bearing on placement is the UNICOR program, and that is the Job Training Program. They provide job training so that, ideally, when an inmate is released, they will have a job skill and they won't have to go back into a life of crime to support themselves. So, if you want to become a welder, you have to go to a prison that has the Unicor program in welding. The third factor is bed space. Does the specific facility or program have room to include the inmate? If not, that inmate may be shipped somewhere else. Where they do have room for a while until space opens up at that facility. So, those are the main factors. Now, once an inmate is placed, you serve the sentence that was ordered by the judge. But in addition, an inmate can get good time credits for behaving, which reduce a sentence by up to 15%, and earned time credits for completing various self improvement programs. And halfway houses are available for nonviolent offenders. Nearing their release date. So that is the episode. We have talked about the different types of prisons that exist within the Federal Bureau of Prisons the factors that the BOP considers determining the appropriate custody level for an inmate, and how the Bureau of Prisons selects the specific prison that will house that particular defendant. If you enjoyed this episode and you learned something, smash that like button for me. If you got something to say, you got a comment, I will try to answer it to the best of my ability. If you haven't subscribed, do so now. And last but not least, I love it when you guys share me on social media. That's all for today. I'm Joshua Roberts, attorney at law, and you've been watching Lawyer Up. Send lawyers guns and money